Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss health for night owls, new health protocols for cruise lines, and pregnancy issues caused by wildfires. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 52 for the week of September 28th. I'm Matt Moneypenny, and Alex is not here today, so it's going to be a solo episode, but it's our year anniversary, so wow. You know what I mean? Very exciting times. Before we get started, though, our diagnosis code of the week is X11.0, contact with hot water in bath or tub. Now, if Alex were here, he'd be like, you know what, Matt? That has happened to me before, and then we go into some story about how he took a bath and it was hot and then he scolded his skin and then all this stuff and it'd be really embarrassing but you know he's not here so i'm just gonna say wow what an interesting medical code you know imagine going to the hospital and coming in contact with hot water in a bath or tub and having to explain that to your doctor and then having a diagnosis code for that very specific thing it continues to blow me away how specific these codes get And with that, let's get right into the news. First up, we have early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wow. New research confirms at least part of that phrase is true, specifically for diabetics, showing that those who go to bed early are more likely to be healthier compared to night owls. The studies assess the bedtime preferences of people with type 2 diabetes. It examined 635 diabetic patients who wore an accelerometer to record the intensity and time of different physical behaviors, sleep, rest, and overall physical activity. It found that those who went to bed late and woke up late had excessively sedentary lifestyles, putting their health at greater risks. These night owls exercise 56% less than their early bird counterparts. Yet exercise plays an important role for diabetics helping maintain a healthy weight and blood pressure as well as reducing the risk of heart disease, all significant for improving diabetic management. You know, I feel like, uh, I mean, sure, this is specific to diabetes um, and whatever you can do to better your health. If you are, are diabetic, is something you should do. Um, so maybe this is something you should look into if you are a night owl. But I also feel like it's kind of known across, I mean, the world that people who wake up early tend to live healthier lifestyles. And I think that just has to do with our natural circadian rhythm um, as who we are as people where it's just kind of like in our ingrained uh, natural states that we need to be waking up when the sun comes up and going to bed when the sun goes down. Um, Obviously, that's not the case for everyone, and sometimes it has to do with how they are working. Um, It could be third shift, second shift, things like that. Um, But, I mean, there's a reason why CEOs, there's the statistic that says that CEOs wake up at like, 5 a.m. There's a reason why they do that um, to get ahead of their day, and um, they're very successful people. So just keep that in mind. Next up, we can't direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. Wow. Call me Captain Jack Sparrow. Two cruise companies submitted their return to cruising plan to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control following COVID-19 restrictions. Under the Healthy Sail panel, the cruise line submitted 74 new recommendations regarding ways to prevent infections from being brought on board and how to deal with any health crisis which might arise. Many of the suggested protocols have already been implemented and are currently being tested by European lines which have slowly begun their returns. 
you know, I feel like no matter what happens, um, no matter what type of protocols they take at a cruise line, people are going to get sick. I mean, that's kind of like a known thing is like if you go on a cruise, you're going to get like a traveler's illness in some capacity. It's usually like flu-like symptoms. And what ends up happening is everybody gets it because everyone's in contact with everything, right? One person's sick. They show up. They get their family sick. Their family goes and does all these activities and touches all these objects. And then other people touch the the same objects and do the same activities. And then it just spreads like wildfire, right? And that was kind of the unfortunate thing that happened with COVID was cruise ships were affected by it so much and were like such a huge um, reason why it started to spread is because people would go on cruise ships. People would have COVID on these cruise ships. It's such a contagious disease that it would just spread like wildfire. And then they come back to shore and go on with their daily lives and spread that to other people. Um, so I wonder what these restrictions are. It'd be interesting to look at what they actually are. And then from that, see um, if this works. <laughs> Next up, gender reveals aren't the only problem with pregnancies during wildfires. Exposure to heat and pollution during pregnancy increases the risk of stillbirth and low birth weight for the baby. Wildfire smoke is just another threat. Studies in 2012 and 2019 show that babies exposed to smoke while in the womb have decreased birth weight. Mom's exposure to non-wildfire pollution can impact unborn babies' respiratory health and brain development. Higher levels of stress hormone cortisol in expectant mothers can also cause health and developmental problems down the road. Moms face significant stress and anxiety during wildfires, and there's a link between general pollution and poor mental health. Uh, that's, this is an interesting, interesting article. Uh, as we know, there's a lot of wildfires happening in the United States right now, like four or five. <laughs> I mean, it just continues to rise and rise and rise. And I mean, we see pictures of, of people waking up on the West Coast and outside it looks like it's, uh, I don't know, everything's orange <laughs> and it looks really unnatural and weird. It kind of looks like a dystopian future, um, but that's kind of what we're living in right now. And it's an interesting statistic to look into the effects of wildfire smoke pollution and their effects on pregnant women. Obviously, this goes beyond that as well. Um, and it goes to show you that it does affect the people who live in that area as well. And it would be interesting to see like the extent to which how far that reaches, right? Because I mean, the smoke just doesn't like disappear. Obviously, it's going to go into the ocean. A lot of it, based on the winds. But if it, if it cuts back towards the east, if the fire is on the west coast, I wonder like how far the, the the smoke pollution extends, right? Like, I wonder that'd be an interesting thing to see. Um, but yeah, that's kind of sad. And with that, let's get on to our next segment. B R E A C H Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest and greatest and scariest cybersecurity breaches all across the world. First up in this segment, we have crazy stuff from hackers. The Treasury Board of Canada has detected suspicious activity of 48,000 Canada Revenue Agency CRA accounts. After a series of cyber attacks, these attacks compromised the agency's systems in July and August. The hackers used credential stuffing to gain access to CRA accounts. The Treasury Board announced that the police investigation into the attacks is still ongoing and the affected departments have been in contact with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner. Now, I'm not familiar with what, uh, what is it, account stuffing? Credential stuffing. I'm not really sure what that is, but it sounds 
pretty wild. So I'm going to look it up live as I'm recording this. Holy cow, guys. This is my true reaction in its fullest form. Credentialing stuffing is a type of cyber attack where stolen account credentials typically consisting of lists of usernames and or email addresses and the corresponding passwords are used to gain unauthorized access to user accounts through large-scale automated login requests directed against a web application. Ah, so what they do is they have a, a list of accounts and they just kind of spam the login to see which one works. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's, like, that's pretty innovative in terms of the attack. Now, I wonder what happens once they get in. They probably mark it as an active account and then sell those accounts or use those accounts to do things maliciously from within the system. Um, the fact that it's the Treasury Board of Canada is pretty scary, especially considering the uh, scale of the attack. I mean, 48,000 accounts is definitely significant. So I wonder what they were trying to do um, once they actually got inside of it. Like, what can they gain access to? Right. I can't imagine that the Treasury Board is going to be linked to like the Canadian Mint. I mean, they will, but they're not going to be like able to send messages like, hey, Mint, make sure you send two million Canadian dollars to this random address. And the Mint's just going to be like, oh, yeah, sure. But um, I wonder what they were trying to get into. I wonder if they actually did get anything um, from it. They just say that they gained access. They don't say that they really did anything with the access other than just gaining access and detecting suspicious activity on the accounts next up catch me if you can montefiore medical center is notifying patients about a security breach involving information accessed illegally by a former employee in july montefiore discovered that the employee allegedly stole about 4,000 patients personal details between july 2018 and july 2020 the employee was fired and the nypd investigation is underway there's no evidence that the patient information has been used for identity theft. Montefiore's sophisticated technology that monitors improper access to electronic records identified the employee who was doing this. Their practice is expanding monitoring capabilities and employee training programs. It is also offering all affected patients identity theft protection services, 12 months of credit monitoring, and $1 million insurance policy. So, um, some takeaways here. Obviously, we go back to that whole entire response plan where people are like, hey, we are sorry that we exposed your data. So here is 12 months of credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. Um, like that's pretty boilerplate stuff. But what's interesting in the response is the $1 million insurance policy. I wonder how good that insurance policy is. I mean, from a dollar perspective, it sounds very impressive. But, you know, I mean, with insurance policies, it's always like, there's a little bit of uh, red tape and there's a little bit of small font that goes along with that. So hopefully it's really good just so that these just protect these 4,000 patients. Um, I mean, that's a lot of money <laughs> to, to dole out an insurance policy money for each of those patients. So we'll see. Um, hopefully it's good for them. Also, another takeaway is they mentioned in the story that Montefiore's sophisticated technology that monitors improper access to electronic records identified the employee. Now, it's great that they did identify the employee. What's not so great, though, is that this happened between January 2018 and July of 2020. I mean, that's like a two-year period. So it took them two years. It took this sophisticated technology two years to identify the employee who was dealing with 4,000 patients' personal information in a malicious way. So that, 
isn't as sophisticated as it sounds. Uh, I think it's one of those words where they, they kind of threw that in to save face a little bit. But um, there has to be technology out there that can do this faster, right? I mean, not necessarily. It's gonna. It's it's hard to determine um, what people are doing with data quickly and determining whether or not it is malicious or not. I mean, that's that's pretty hard and advanced. But I mean, two years for four thousand patients, uh, two thousand patients per year. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> And finally, Call of Duty, more like call your customers and notify them of this breach. An alleged data breach on Activision allowed hackers to acquire the usernames and passwords of customer accounts. The breach was reported by a user claiming that there was a breach of over 500,000 accounts and urged Call of Duty mobile users to change their Activision login passwords. These accounts are used by gamers to log into the company's various Call of Duty titles such as Warzone, Modern Warfare, and Call of Duty Mobile. The breach was later confirmed by multiple content creators. Activision has denied these claims, saying that no accounts have been compromised. It urged users to take precautionary measures, whichever possible, to protect their account. The company doesn't offer two-factor authentication, leaving users with no choice but to change their passwords to keep their accounts secure. That is a problem. And that's exactly what I was going to go to, is, uh, I mean, the biggest way to, do, to protect yourself from uh, simple breaches especially with usernames and passwords, is two-factor authentication. And the fact that Activision, a multi-billion dollar company that doesn't offer two-factor authentication as a standard um, to their to their customers <laughs> is pretty bad. Because if you know anything about these video game companies, what they do nowadays is is they have they make the games, right? So that's phase one. Phase two is kind of helping those games along their their lifespan right so adding new content and things like that and also adding these cosmetics right so it's essentially you're spending money for pixels to make your character look cooler and games like call of duty and warzone and fortnite and all the things the reason why they're there's there's they continue to stay so trendy is because of the cosmetics that they add for their characters and they give people customization and there's a ton of money that goes into that a ton of money and um, so gaining access to user accounts for video games doesn't really seem that, that like big of a deal if you think about it. But it, it, it actually is kind of a big deal because there's so much money that gets poured into these games. So that means there's a direct access to the credit card information of these accounts. And a lot of times these are kids who are playing these games. So it's actually their parents' accounts. So it gets pretty hairy pretty quickly. Um, hopefully... Activision actually looks into this and makes a proper response, regardless of whether or not it's true. Um, maybe implements two-factor authentication uh, because 500,000 accounts is nothing really to, to look the other way to. That's a lot of people. So, yeah. And with that, that's your weekly wrap-up of your healthcare news. Um, happy one year of this podcast. If you've been here since the beginning, we love you. If you know other people who would like to watch this podcast, make sure you send them uh, our, our podcast link and share it, okay? All right. Well, I'm Matt Moneypenny, and uh, we'll see you next week with a full cast of people. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.